Welcome to CLCC Online. We pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with Him. We believe that we were meant to do life in community. So if you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into the family. Find everything you need at clcc.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. I am so honored to get to share with you today. My name is Brianna, and I'm one of the pastors here at CLCC. We're currently in the midst of our summer series, Stories That Transform Us. I think we often take for granted how important story is to the way we communicate, to the way we consume media, and just to our lives in general. And I love stories. I was and still am a big reader. When I was growing up, I could read an entire novel in one sitting sometimes and then start a new one that same day. I loved the way I would feel transported into the story, and I so badly wanted to know what was going to happen next. And stories like this affect the way we see the world, how we view people. They change our perspective. And that's why this sermon series is looking at stories in scripture that transform us, because it's no different for the Bible. These stories should transform us because they matter. They affect how we see God, ourselves, and others. So as we go through this sermon series for a couple more weeks into the end of the summer, let these stories transform you. For some of you, they might be stories that you've heard a hundred times before, but I would encourage you to hear these stories in a new way this summer. Today, the story we're going to be looking at is found in John chapter 4, so you can turn there now if you have your Bibles or head there on your YouVersion app. And in this story, we read an interaction between Jesus and a Samaritan woman at a well. The passage tells us that Jesus is on his way with his disciples back to Galilee from Judea. And on this journey, they have to go through Samaria. While stopping in a Samaritan village on the way, Jesus sits at a well. And before we really get into it, we have to understand some of the context here. Jews, like Jesus and his disciples, and Samaritans did not mix. They were not friendly. Our passage even says that they didn't have anything to do with each other. And this is a conflict that had been going on for many, many years. Also, this interaction that takes place is between a man, being Jesus, and a woman, which women were not held in high esteem at this time. It wouldn't have been common. Something else that is important to note about this story is that the woman is there around noon. This time of day would be the heat of the day, and typically was when people would be resting to avoid it. Women would typically collect water either early in the morning or in the evening when it was cooler. So it would have been unusual for there to be anyone there at this time. Yet there she was, and there Jesus was. So let's jump into the story in John 4, verse 7. This is what it says. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? The first thing we learn here about the Samaritan woman is of her surprise. This was not a common interaction for her. Her first response to Jesus is, why are you asking me for a drink? Not only am I a Samaritan, I'm a Samaritan woman. Already we can see a bit of insight into what this woman is like. The pushback she gives here, I think, is sometimes how we are with God too. 
God, why are you asking me? I'm not good enough for this. Don't you know who I am, God? Let's continue in verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? The way the Samaritan woman responds here is just so practical. I love it. She's like, how, are you, how do you think you're going to get water if you don't have a bucket? Don't you know this is a well? It's pretty deep. You can't just reach in and get water out of it. I think so many of us are like this woman. Don't we do this all the time? How are you going to help me through this, God? My problems are too big for you. My sin is too much for you. How can you offer me something better than what I already have? This is as good as it gets. We put God in a box like this all the time. We think that what we've done is too great, or he can't help us, or he won't help us. And so often we think that we just have to live in our shame. We have to live in our circumstances. Yet in verse 13, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. I think there's a few things we can gather from this story. And the first is this. Shame isolates us. Some of you might know about my puppy, Penny. Uh, If you don't, Penny is my year-old Boston Terrier. And here's the thing about Penny. She's super mischievous. She loves to steal things that she knows aren't hers, whether that's socks or pens or whatever she can find. One time she literally stole three pieces of bacon off of my husband's breakfast plate and she was just gone and there was nothing we could do. She's mischievous and she knows it, but she also hates getting into trouble. So what Penny will do when she knows she has something that she shouldn't have is she'll hide. She'll run as fast as her skinny little legs will carry her and she'll hide under the bed or the table just out of reach. And it's a bit of a funny correlation, but the way Penny runs and hides is a great illustration to the way we act when we're ashamed. Do we not do the same thing? When we know we've done something wrong or made a mistake, do we not also run and hide? Do we not isolate ourselves and avoid those that might call us out on it? The Samaritan woman was someone that was living in shame. We learn a few verses later than what we just read that she had had five husbands and was living with someone that wasn't her husband. And culturally in her time, this would have been something that carried a lot of shame. She was probably living with some regret. She was carrying some heavy burdens. The fact that she's there apart from when all the other women would go to the well is super telling about what her life was like as well. This time of collecting water would have been a social event. It would have been the time when the women got together and chatted and spent time together. Yet this particular woman chose to go when no one else was there. She was so ashamed of herself, so ashamed of her life, so hurt and broken that she couldn't even bear to face the other women. And how often do we feel that way? How often do we feel the burden and pain of our sin or of what we're going through that we hide, we isolate ourselves? The Samaritan woman had isolated herself from her community because of her shame, because of her trauma, because she didn't know that there was any other option. She was living a life that left her thirsty. It didn't leave her fulfilled. 
I'm sure the Samaritan woman probably felt more and more shame each time her relationships didn't work out. I wonder when she stopped going to the well at the same time as the other women. I wonder what that moment was, that thing that was said, the gossip she overheard that made her feel so outcast, so ostracized that she said, you know what, it's better for me to just avoid this altogether. Have you ever had that moment in your life? Have you ever come to the place where you just feel so stuck in your sin, so tired of the shame that you say, you know what, it's not worth it anymore. I'm just going to avoid it altogether. I'm just going to stop going to life group. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm just going to stop going. It's too hard. It's too painful. This is exactly what the Samaritan woman did as well. She was hurting and she was in pain and she didn't know there was any other way. And this is what the enemy wants us to do, because when we're isolated from God and from our community, we don't find freedom. When we're isolated, we have a much harder time finding forgiveness. When we're isolated, it's so much harder to find healing for our hearts. It becomes so easy to just be stuck in your circumstances because shame isolates us. Yet when Jesus first meets the woman, he says to her, if you only knew the gift God has for you, the Samaritan woman didn't know, but do you? Do you know the gift God has for you? Do you know what it is that can restore your brokenness, take away your shame, heal your pain? Because what that is, is the living water Jesus is talking about. Living water comes from a relationship with Jesus. Never being thirsty again comes from trusting in him. Living water comes from leaning on him when your circumstances are hard. Only living water restores our brokenness. The Samaritan woman didn't know what the gift God had for her was, but my hope and my prayer is that you leave this place today knowing what that is for you. Because the second thing we know from this story is this, he is calling you into freedom. If shame isolates us, then the freedom of living water liberates us. What we can learn from the Samaritan woman is that your past is not your future. The beautiful thing about this story is that despite the Samaritan woman's life, despite what she had done, despite where she came from, despite who she was, Jesus offered her freedom from her sin. Jesus offered her freedom from her isolation. Jesus knew that this particular Samaritan woman was going to be there. He chose to meet her at the well at this time. He had this conversation with her to reveal himself to her and to reveal that she doesn't have to live this way. She didn't have to live in shame and secrecy and be separated from God. And through this story, we can learn that we don't have to live that way either because the story continues. Let's read again in in chapter 4, verse 16. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. In verse 16, Jesus asked the woman to go and get her husband. And at face value, this seemingly has nothing to do with what they were talking about before. But this request was his way of bringing the woman's sin out into the open. Jesus wasn't asking her to share this with him because he didn't know what was going on in her life. He makes it clear that he already knew. Jesus doesn't condemn the Samaritan woman, but rather he gently convicts her. Condemnation leaves us stuck in our sin. Condemnation leaves us in shame and not wanting to change. But the gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit encourages us towards true heart change. 
He gently calls it out of her. He doesn't shame her further. He simply reveals that he knows her. And I want you to know today that Jesus knows you too. He knows how you've sinned. He knows your shame. He knows your pain. He knows your past. All he asks for is for you to bring it out into the open with him. Let's read again in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is talking about the cross here. This hour that he's referring to is when he will bridge the gap between us and God, when it won't matter anymore where worship takes place, when the time will come that worship can happen anywhere. And this revelation is Jesus's way of telling the Samaritan woman that she will be able to worship him wherever. She won't be bound to a single place anymore, but can worship freely. Her sins can be forgiven. She can have a relationship with God. She's no longer isolated and called into freedom. Their conversation continues. In verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Our freedom comes from knowing Jesus. Our freedom comes from worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Just like the Samaritan woman, when we give our sin over to Jesus, we can move forward knowing that our past is not our future. When we do this, we can worship with joy. We can leave behind shame and condemnation and the lies of others because he calls us into the freedom that only a relationship with Jesus brings. Only living water restores our brokenness and leads us into freedom. The Samaritan woman believed what Jesus had to say. The Samaritan woman responded to his conviction of her heart by desiring true change in her life. This had such a great effect on her and her, her response is what leads us into the last thing we can gather from this story and it's this. The joy of redemption is contagious. Once we were ashamed and isolated and then freedom liberated us and now we get to be redeemed and share it with others. At the end of this story in verse 28, we see that the woman, after learning that Jesus is the Messiah, returns to her town to tell everyone about her conversation with him. In verse 29, she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? We already know this woman goes out of her way to avoid seeing people around town. Yet when she learns who Jesus really is, she chooses to go and tell everyone what happened. She was no longer isolated from God and no longer isolated from her community. <clears throat> we also see in verse 29 that the people went with her. Whatever this ostracized woman on the outskirts of society said to them was believable enough, was attractive enough, was exciting enough that they went with her to learn more. I truly think this is because the transformation of Jesus in our lives is so evident, so attractive, so desirable that when people hear about it, they can't help but want to know more. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, you are not excluded from this. 
when we are transformed by the living water of Jesus, it should overflow in such a way that we can't not tell others about it. One of my favorite things about serving in our high school youth ministry here at CLCC is when students experience Jesus in a new way. There's been times I've had students come up to me and share about how God spoke to them, or they'll tell me that someone prayed for them and said exactly what they needed to hear, or they'll share their struggles with me and how God is healing their hearts. And these things encourage me, and they strengthen my faith when I hear it from our high schoolers. They often can't hold it in. All they want is to tell everyone. All they know is the joy of Jesus working in their lives. And I think often for those of us that have been Christians for a long time, it can be easy to forget about what the journey of transformation looks like. It can be easy to forget how Jesus has transformed you and your own life. I think sometimes when we forget this, if we're not careful, we can become the people that ostracize those that Jesus is going out of his way to give a drink to. Remember how he has redeemed you. Look for ways in your life that he is still transforming you. Hold on to that joy and share it with others. That is the joy of redemption that comes only from Jesus. And that joy is contagious. I hope that we can be people that always carry that where we can't not tell people about it. Because like the Samaritan woman, when we share about what Jesus is doing in our lives with joy, people want to know more. They want to hear about it. They want a taste of it. So do you still have joy about the ways that he's redeemed you? Maybe you're watching and you feel like your life looks a bit like the Samaritan woman's. Maybe you feel like you're a bit on the outskirts. You've been letting your shame isolate you. You've been hiding from your community and hiding from God. Maybe you've decided to let your sin be bigger than God. Maybe you've been putting God in a box and you've been telling yourself, there's no way he can help me. Don't you know what I've done? If that's you, I want you to know that Jesus is calling you into freedom today. He offers you living water that is a fresh, bubbling spring within you. He is offering you eternal life. He is offering you a better way. He loves you no matter what you've done, how you've sinned, or how far you've pushed him away. The living water that he offers us satisfies us forever, despite our sin, shame, and brokenness. Or maybe you're watching and you don't feel that way. Maybe that's not your story. If that's you, I would challenge you. Maybe what you can take from this story is asking yourself, how can I be more like Jesus was to the Samaritan woman? Maybe without even realizing it, you've been the kind of person that pushes away people like her. If that's you, maybe you need to show more love to those on the outskirts. Maybe that means not gossiping anymore. Maybe that means loving your neighbor that's radically different from you and is really hard to love. And I think honestly, that sometimes is all of us in different seasons of our lives. As you head into the rest of your day, your week, your month, I'd encourage you to take some time to reflect. Use this time to really open your heart to the Lord. If you're someone that's been living in shame, living in your sin, hiding from God, I would encourage you to give that to him. Accept his gift of living water. Take this time to listen to his voice and respond. If you're watching today and you're like, yeah, I haven't loved those on the outside well, I could probably do that a bit better. Give that to him too. Ask him to help you. Ask him to lead you to people that need your love. Take time to reflect and take time to lean into him. Jesus wants to meet you where you're at today. 
He didn't wait for the Samaritan woman to clean up her life, to offer her living water. He didn't wait for her to turn away from her sin, to reach out to her. She was someone that was an unlikely person living a life that wasn't good. It was full of shame. Jesus shouldn't have even been interacting with her, yet he chose to meet with her. Despite who she was, despite her mistakes, despite her sin, and before she even had the chance to change her behavior, he offered her living water that was going to satisfy her soul. And he is offering you living water today, right now. He is offering you forgiveness today, right now. This is a story that transforms us because it shows us that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through, no matter who you are, living water is available to you right now. Living water will never leave you feeling empty. It will never leave you feeling thirsty again. It is a fresh bubbling spring within you, giving you eternal life. Let's be people that know what he offers us. Let's be people that go from this place today, knowing that we get to experience living water. Let's be people that know we don't have to live in isolation. Let's be people that walk in freedom because sometimes we don't know. Maybe you started watching today not knowing. Don't leave this place the same way. Know the gift God has for you and know that he gives it freely. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you so much that you offer the gift of living water to us freely. I thank you for each person that is watching today and that uh, you want to meet them right where they're at, Lord, right where they're at in their lives, whether that's living in sin or shame or brokenness, God, you call out to them, you reach out to them and you meet them where they're at now. God, I pray that we would be people that can accept your gift of living water, that we can be people that accept Uh, your gift of a relationship with you. I pray that you would be with us today, tomorrow, and every day for the rest of our lives. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for watching and have a great week. Thanks for joining us. If you are looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Aldergrove campus meets at Parkside Elementary School Sundays at 1030. Our Abbotsford campus has three services each Sunday, 830, 10, and 11.30. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. If you would like to financially support us, you can always give at cscc.ca slash give. See you later.